Many young people in Connecticut are at risk of not graduating high school or are not currently working or in school. That's according to a new report on Connecticut's unspoken crisis. It found that nearly one in every five young people is either at risk or disconnected. In response to the report, the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities held a series of conversations addressing these issues. Harvard Mayor Luke Bronin was part of one of those conversations. It's too easy for for many people in many communities to think that's somebody, some other community's problem or somebody else's issue. But but this report is pretty clear that this this is everywhere. everywhere. And it may not be visible or easily visible everywhere, but it's everywhere. This is Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Today, we dive deeper into some of the issues facing young people in our state. Later in the show, we'll hear from young people themselves about what it's like to grow up and attend school here in Connecticut. But first, Andrew Ferguson is co-CEO of Dalio Education. Dalio Education works with schools and nonprofits in Connecticut to improve education outcomes. Dalio Education is the organization that commissioned Boston Consulting Group to create the report. They also helped fund and launch the nonprofit Connecticut Rise Network. Andrew, welcome to Disrupted. Thank you so much for the opportunity to raise awareness about this important topic. It is an important topic. So let's get right to that topic and the newest report released by Dalio Education. It's called Connecticut's Unspoken Crisis. It looks at at-risk and disconnected young people. And some people, Andrew, may be familiar with the term at-risk or think they know what it means. But let's start with the basic definition. How do you define disconnected young people and at-risk young people? So I appreciate that question very much because let me first start by what it is not. So when we use the terms at risk or disconnected, we are not in any way talking about the young people themselves or anyone who shared in their lived experience. That is really important to understand. What we're trying to do to be as clear as we possibly can about the context, the circumstance in which they are living and growing up in this state. And so when we say at risk, we're talking about the context of a young person of high school age who's struggling to graduate school. And there could be at least three reasons why a young person might be at risk. One is a young person is struggling to pass the courses she or he needs to graduate. Second is they may be chronically absent, struggling with attendance. Or third, struggling with suspensions or expulsions or any combination of all of the above. That's what it means to be at risk of graduating high school in Connecticut. Disconnected, again, it's not about the young person themselves, but it's the context. Disconnection means that a young adult between the age of 14 to 26 may be moderately disconnected, meaning they could have a high school diploma, but presently they have no job and they have no connection to post-secondary education. That would be moderately disconnected, severely disconnected, the second subgroup. That would be a young adult who may presently be incarcerated or has already dropped out of high school entirely with no diploma or GED or equivalent credential and certainly has no job. I appreciate you thinking about not just what the terms mean, but the impact 
of the terms themselves. And Andrew, as you well know, unfortunately, these terms have often been used in such a pejorative way that it almost ascribes a destiny upon these young people to say, you are at risk for failure and there's nothing that can be done. And this report is very intentional to talk about the context, the situation, and how it's playing out across Connecticut. Share with our listeners a few of the findings of the report that you found alarming or surprising as you think about situation and context. Absolutely. So look, what the facts say, what this research demonstrates is that we in Connecticut have a statewide unspoken crisis. When we think about our young people, 14 to 26 years of age, all of whom have incredible potential and aspiration, and yet one in five, 119,000 young adults are at risk of not graduating high school or have already disconnected from education and employment. One in five, every town in this state. Just imagine that, right? That is at least two Yankee stadiums filled to capacity and then a little bit more in Fenway Park. Imagine how expansive that is, 119,000. 56,000 of the 119,000 are young adults of high school age. That's one in three of our entire high school age population in this state. 63,000 have already disconnected from education and employment. We have a statewide crisis. We have incredible untapped potential young people, and it's up to us to meet them where they are to help them achieve it. It is a staggering number to say one in five, 119,000 young people. It is a staggering number for any state, but particularly, Andrew, for a state like Connecticut, which is a relatively small state. It's overwhelming to think about that number. This is not just a problem for urban areas. It's not just a concern in the central cities. Every town in the state is facing this. What do you think about that idea that, look, let's not say this is an urban problem. It's a statewide problem. How have you seen that data point maybe have an an effect on how people respond to the report? So that's exactly right by the facts. And so this statewide crisis is as much about Thompson, Connecticut, Sprague, Connecticut, um, uh, Stanford, Connecticut, Bridgeport, New Haven, Waterbury, Groton, New London, right? I can keep naming 169 towns because the truth is all are part of this. And it does require that we in Connecticut work together to meet the needs of our young people across this state and every town. That is incredibly important that people understand that truth. You know, we were intentional about calling this a crisis and an unspoken one or unseen or unheard. And we were intentional about that because as much as it is a crisis, it's also not well understood. Folks are not aware enough about the truth of this crisis, about the report and what it says. And so we believe deeply that to your very point in question, we have to do what we can to raise broad public awareness and understanding about the reality of these facts about the every town, about one in five, so that people understand with the basic belief that if people understand, more will care. If more care, there'll be greater will, to your point, to work together in this state to support our young people. There will be people who read this report or hear our conversation. They'll hear those data points and they will be shocked. And the natural question will be, why? 
why do we have so many young people in this state who are at risk or disconnected across the entire state? What does the report say about the why behind these data points? The causes are many, and they relate to growing up in poverty, being exposed to traumas, experiencing housing instability, moving across high school and town boundaries twice or more times, right? And other factors. What I've just named are all a set of realities that far too many young people in this state are experiencing. And here's the other thing. We know right now in this state who is living in poverty, who is exposed to trauma, who doesn't have a home to sleep in tonight, right? Who is struggling with uh, access to to a good diet and food? Who is moving uh, high schools uh, so frequently? We know that. We can see this before a young person disconnects in the vast majority of cases. And so this is one of those crises in a world that's filled with crises. This is one of those that we can actually address if we decide to work together and if we rise to our responsibility. I hear in what you just said, Andrew, a moral imperative that we know that there is a problem. We know the sources or the the contributing factors because they are so interconnected and nested. We know those factors. And so there is a moral imperative to do something, to acknowledge it, but to not just sort of shake our collective heads and say, oh, that's so unfortunate, to actually do something. Beyond the moral imperative, one of the things that I think is is critical in this report, or not beyond the moral imperative, but in conjunction with the moral imperative, is that the report says there is a detrimental economic impact on this state. So it's not enough to say this is just this person in their situation. There is a collective economic impact. What is the economic consequence of having so many youth who are identified early on as disconnected or at risk? And I'll speak to the economic case in just a moment, but first, the moral case that you uh, talk about, I can't help but start with that because, look, I started my career. I started the mission of my life as a school teacher in New Haven. And so every data point I cite, I think of the young person that I still know well, who's now 27, 28, 29, far bigger than I am, right? I do everything I can for that young person not to call me Mr. Ferguson, and yet she or he still does right? There is a moral case to lean in, to do everything you can, whoever you are in this state, whatever your position, whatever your power, there is a case to care, a case to love. But if that doesn't persuade you, here's the economics, right? This crisis is enormously costly for Connecticut. Today, If we continue to do nothing in response to this crisis, if we don't address it, if we continue to have 63,000 young adults in this state disconnected from education and employment, that is costing us today. That is allowing us to leave on the table $750 million a year, a year. Let me explain that number. $400 million is the economic cost of what we Connecticut taxpayers are paying today and pay every year to support the 63,000 young adults who are disconnected. It's the cost we pay in incarceration. It's far more expensive to incarcerate a young person than it is to educate a young person in the state. It's the cost we pay for social safety net services, the cost we pay for Medicaid, $400 million. Second is the future benefit or the opportunity cost, $350 million. 
Imagine if these 63,000 young adults could get back on track and connect to one of the 100,000 plus unfilled jobs in today's labor market. We've looked at the data, we've looked at the jobs, we looked at what would be a competitive set of reasonable assumptions for a young person who's presently experiencing disconnection to get a job in Connecticut. And we've forecasted that out to say that over the next few years, if 56,000 of the current jobs in our market were filled, if young people were earning a wage, the revenue benefit to this state is $350 million. That's the economic cost on an annual basis. In addition to that is the GDP impact. If those very jobs were filled by these young adults, these workers in Connecticut, the benefit economically to Connecticut is $5 billion a year. That's 2% of the entire Connecticut economy. That's what this report says. As I share these facts with economists and business leaders across this state, they respond to me to suggest they think that's actually understating the economic benefit that Connecticut could realize if we were to help young people get back on track. I'm listening to you go through the imperative, go through the impact. And it makes perfect sense, Andrew. Yes, of course, we should do this. We need to do something now. Our state is aging. We need to intervene right now. Let's do it. And I am also keenly aware that unfortunately, when we talk about action, not just in Connecticut, but in general, it often becomes cloaked in partisan and ideological discourse because it would make sense to everyone. Yes, you want to have a vibrant economic situation that encourages entrepreneurship and innovation and creates a future for all of us. And yet, Andrew, simply we have not gotten there. And I, I'm concerned about that. What's the response when you say to people, look, this shouldn't be about what Democrats want or what Republicans want or conservative or whatever it is. This should be about what's best for the state and how we move forward together. What's the reaction that you're getting to the report and to this imperative? So, Sam, let me start with hope, right? Where I have hope as someone who, again, has been a school teacher, who's worked in state government, who's devoted his professional life to this very work. I have hope because I know that in nearly every community in this state, there are heroes today who have devoted their lives to helping young people succeed. Those heroes are in the form of teachers, they're in the form of youth development professionals, they're in the form of nonprofit leaders, they're in the form of mayors and municipal leaders and staff, right? There are people today that are making an incredible difference for young people who are succeeding, who may be at risk or have already disconnected. We have examples of what is working. And so I drive a lot of energy and hope from that reality. In addition to that, as you know, I'm trying to do everything I can with my colleagues and others to raise awareness to say, we need to reach the folks who are persuadable, but have yet to be persuaded that this crisis impacts them too whether they are a parent of a family in Groton, whether they're a parent of a family that's no longer in a school system, whether they're not a parent, but simply just an employer or any of the above or somewhere in between, we have to make the connection that this matters to them as well so that they see the reality of this crisis and they see how they can lean in to be supportive of it. We don't have to convince everyone. 
But I think that when we are successful over time, and we'll stick with this, but when we succeed over time, we can persuade more people to join us. And the more people that join to your question, the more likely we are to reach that tipping point of getting to a place of action at a level required in response to this statewide crisis. As you and I are having this conversation, I'm hosting 100 public school students on Quinnipiac's campus because I want them to come and imagine their future early on in that process. But I also want their teachers to know how much we appreciate the hard work that they do every day and work that is often getting harder and is not supported in terms of the totality of how they are helping our young people navigate. And it also, Andrew, has had me thinking a lot about we know the numbers, we know the challenges, we know the examples and in some ways exemplars of the solution. What would you say are two or three action items that people can take right where they are, wherever they find themselves across the state? What are things that can be done in order to address this crisis and ensure that it is no longer unspoken? So first, thank you. What you just shared of what you are choosing to do today, that is an example of you using some of the power you have at Quinnipiac to help young people see themselves being connected to success, see themselves and having possibilities. That matters. That's an example that others can follow. And part of the way we solve or address this crisis certainly involves some larger scale efforts and some larger policies, but it also involves things as practical and concrete as what you just shared. And so to your question, if you are a teacher, there is so much you probably are already doing today, but could be doing to ensure that a young person who may be 14 years old, struggling to pass Algebra 1, receives whatever support she or he needs. That concrete example is really important because we know there are 28,000 young adults in schools today who are off track because they're failing courses required to graduate. There are a whole set of practical things that can happen within the power of an educator in the context of a school to address this. But it's so much more than what happens in school. So there's also so much that a municipal leader or mayor could do. And so think about all the factors that we've talked about in this conversation today that are beyond school, housing instability, poverty, traumas, et cetera. A mayor can use her or his coordinating power to bring relevant actors and agencies and resources together across the community to which they represent and lead to ensure that we're coordinating more effectively in support of the needs of young people, especially those who are at risk and experiencing disconnection. If you are a funder, you can step up and you can fund, you can join us in funding organizations like the Connecticut Rise Network. There are terrific nonprofits in this state that have devoted their missions to this very crisis, and they are making an impact. You can see through the data that it matters. Those are at least three examples, and there are many, many more about what we in Connecticut can do to respond to this crisis today as we continue the hard work of building broader public awareness to generate stronger will for stronger action. My last question builds on the word that you mentioned before, which is not just a feeling, it is an action. And that word is hope. 
And so I'm curious, Andrew, the report is out. Uh, you've been going around the state in conversation and most importantly, in partnership with a lot of organizations, community-based efforts to get the word out. What is next for Dalio Education in this vein of really improving the lives of young people in Connecticut? So the report came out in October. And so we are now almost two months into this work. And what is next is more of what we have been doing. In other words, to raise awareness about an unspoken crisis, we have to stay on the the trail of raising awareness, being in community, working with organizations like the Connecticut Conference Municipality, working with so many other organizations and their platforms and their networks and their communities to try to raise broad awareness of this crisis. Again, with the belief that when people understand, people will care, when they care, they'll act. And so we believe deeply that we need to continue in raising that public awareness. Part of that effort will be we have additional research that in the new year will be released. And so in addition to this report, which certainly is heavier on the data side, we've also been working with organizations to meet young people and interview young people about their lived experience from a qualitative research standpoint. And so we will have a lot to say, and actually they, young people, will have a lot to say with our support in the new year. We've also been looking at organizations across this country that serve this population well, trying to learn from a very tactical and practical way, what is the best practice? What is working in this country? What can we lift up in Connecticut as examples of best in class? And then last, we continue to support organizations and school systems and others that are doing this work and doing it very well. So those big three things, those three categories is what Dalio Education has been doing, is doing, and will continue to do in response to the statewide crisis. Andrew Ferguson is co-CEO of Dalio Education. Its latest report is called Connecticut's Unspoken Crisis. Andrew, thank you for all that you do. Thank you, and I appreciate the opportunity to share with your listeners today. Coming up, we'll hear from Connecticut's young people. They'll offer their reactions to the report. As a person who comes like from the, Domin- the Dominican Republic and sees the lack of opportunities for an education compared to here, I honestly think kids will be more engaged. This is Disrupted. We'll be right back. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. 
Today, we discuss how many young people are not engaged with school or working in Connecticut. Earlier in the show, we heard Hartford Mayor Luke Bronin speak on a panel about this crisis. Joshua Brown was also part of that panel. He works at Domus. It's a Stanford-based organization that engages and supports youth. Whew, half of my oh, half of my life homeless, you know. So the other half, though, you know, um, again with the right services, ambition, um, support, you can become something. Joshua says he later became a homeowner and assistant vice president at a bank after starting out as a young person in Domus's programs. Joshua's story is just one example of how young people in Connecticut can work through their challenges if they have the right help and support. We turn now to two young people in the state and hear their experiences. Yasmeli Segura is a student at Stanford High School. Since fifth grade, she's been part of programs at Domus. And Diego Felix grew up in Hartford. He was part of the Youth Service Corps at Our Piece of the Pie. It's a Hartford-based nonprofit that educates and supports young people. Yasmeli and Diego, welcome to Disrupted. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. How you doing? I'm great. And it's good to talk with both of you today. Yasmeli, let's talk with you first, because you moved to the United States from the Dominican Republic when you were young. Yes. And I imagine that that had all kinds of challenges and adjustments that you had to make. What would you say was the biggest challenge for you moving to the U.S.? The biggest challenge for me moving to the United States was honestly like the language and stuff like that, because I came not knowing how to speak English or anything like that. So it was kind of hard for me to like communicate with teachers in school or just like my peers, even at home, because it was like a whole new family for me. My mom was married and her husband had um, kids but they didn't know how to communicate with me because they only spoke English and I only spoke Spanish. So it was kind of hard, you know, like even at your own household, not being able to like communicate with someone who you're basically calling your siblings. You know what I mean? And it can sometimes be hard to figure out where do I fit, right? If I'm struggling at right. school, I'm struggling at home, where do I fit? Diego, you grew up in Hartford, in the north end of Hartford, I believe. And although there was not the adjustment of moving to the United States, I imagine that growing up in the north end had its own set of challenges of deciding where do I fit or where do I want to be? What was it like for you growing up in Hartford? Like it was challenging because um, like I was like uncomfortable, like going down the streets to go to school and like uh choosing my friends wisely and stuff because there was a lot of distractions and people were easily like more interested in like doing things that are like against the law. And so it wasn't that easy, like choosing who to be around and uh, where to go to school at and stuff like that. Diego, let's talk about that a little more because what you just mentioned is something that a lot of young people in our state deal with every day of you know, what do I do? What are my options? What's around me? And that challenge can sometimes have an impact on things like finishing your education or even knowing that that's a priority when you have so many other pressures coming at you every day. Share with us your own path to finishing high school because you had some challenges, but we are very proud of you because you were yeah. able to get the support to work through them. What was the big challenge for you in finishing high school? Well, the challenge for me 
growing up, uh, I was easily distracted. So I would like, um, I had a lot of peers in high school that would like um, throw me off and I would always get kicked out of class or they would persuade me to like, oh, come on, let's, um, let's ditch school and stuff. And, you know, like I wasn't thinking right at the time. So I would like make bad choices. But um, actually I had a son like three years ago while I was in high school. So I had to drop out and um, I was working. I didn't really have the mindset of school at the moment, but then um, I joined the youth service corps and they got me back on track to getting my high school diploma. So I appreciate coming here and knowing all the people here because they motivated me to do the right thing and stay in track. Diego, I want to congratulate you because you earned your high school diploma. You created something for yourself and for your son. And to think about what the future is in times that can be very difficult. So I want to congratulate you for that. As Melly, Diego mentioned how for him it was helpful to be a part of an organization that could encourage him to see opportunities and support him that wasn't just about your family or your school or your neighborhood. What's been helpful to you in terms of, I know that you started being involved with Domus in fifth grade. How has being a part of Domus and its programs helped you to navigate? They have been a constant source of support for me because I actually moved also from New Jersey to here. And um, in school, like, I never had someone to talk to, somebody to go to, or somebody that could probably help my mom out when she wanted to know something about how I was doing in school or what was wrong with me, you know? Because sometimes we tend to go to, like, other people instead of our parents. Um, So, yeah, we didn't have that person that, like, we could talk to or anything like that. So just coming here and then getting involved in the Domus program was like such a great help for us because um, if something's going on, my mom could just easily text my advocate or anyone and then she'll just know, you know. Um, also, um, there was a point in life where I was like low-key struggling with like finding myself and stuff like that. Um, I honestly had no motivation I think everybody goes to that stage in life, though, like, they're like they don't know who they really are. But um, the Domus program has helped me quite a lot. Um, they helped me stay on track with my on track with my academics and stuff like that. Coming to school, you know, all that. Yes, Melly, you mentioned having an advocate. What yes. does it make you feel like to know that there is somebody who's believing in you, who's supporting you and encouraging you and can help you through the difficult times. What does that feel like for you? Like, it honestly feels great because, I don't know, sometimes um, I feel like everybody's against me and nobody believes in me but that person. And I'm saying them because I've had about three advocates already. And it's like they all show me the same source of support. Like, they're always there for me. Um, Whether it's, like, the littlest stuff, they still support me, you know? It's, like, an amazing feeling. Um, I think everybody should have that person that they feel like they can go to and talk to them about any issues or anything like that. You know, just feel comfortable enough. And that's one thing that they provide for us. Like, the first time you meet them, they provide a safe environment for us. Um... They let us know that we can trust them. Like, the bond is just great. 
Diego, as Jasmeli was speaking, I saw you shaking your head in agreement. And I wonder if you have that same experience of here is someone that I can go to with questions, not just about school, but about life. And I can say when I'm feeling vulnerable, when I'm uncertain, and know that it's this trusting place where they will believe in me and support me and not judge me. Have you had that same experience with you, Service Corps and the, and the other pieces that you have? And if so, what does that mean for you? Um, yes, I have the same situations. Like, um, I always feel like people are like against me as well. And um, there's like always a competition, but like I try to see it as a marathon. Like everybody's moving in their own pace. So I chose to like separate myself from a lot of people. And I have mentors here. I always have someone I could speak to, which helped me stay on track, like to see a tunnel vision, which really helped a lot. So I, um, Anytime I have any situation going on or anything, I speak to my mentor and she guides me like to like, listen, you're doing good. Just keep it up. Like there's always more to life. You know what I mean? Because I always have my, I set milestones for myself, but I'm never like fully satisfied. I always want to keep going like, oh, I completed this. Let me do something else. Let me, I want to be a jack of all trades, you know? I'm I'm smiling as I'm listening to you, Diego, because as you and Yasmeli have talked about the mentors in your lives, the people who have supported you, who have helped you keep going, what I also hope the two of you realize is that just by saying what you have shared today, you will be helping other young people. Because they will hear you and say, yeah, that's me. I've been through that too. I too feel like somebody's against me or I wonder what's next in my lives. And I don't think adults listen to young people enough to be able to do that. I want to start with you, Diego, and then to you, Yasmeli. We've been talking in this show in another segment about this new report about disconnected youth in Connecticut and the challenges young people face in either completing high school or seeing a path forward because of all kinds of factors. They say that 19% of young people in Connecticut are either at risk or disconnected. Diego, when you hear that number, right, 19%, which is about one in five young people in the state, are you surprised by that? Like, how how does that, how do you respond when you hear that number? Honestly, like, my response is like, it's shocking because like, like, I wish it was like a higher demand that more people wanted to, you know, like finish school and, you know, be be excited to go to school, find an education and stuff. But there is a lot of distractions and like um, things going on in the real world that throws a lot of people off. Like sometimes there's um like they want to tell an adult or someone they can look up to, but sometimes it sounds like an argument. You know what I mean? Like a younger person coming up to a, a older adult, it could sound like an argument. So it it would make them like uncomfortable to talk about it and make them want to succeed in life. So it's, it's not always easy for everyone. So like, I wish there was more opportunities for people to like realize like, Hey, don't give up. There's always something you could do to get you back on track. Like, especially like in Hartford, there's a lot of, there's a lot of like stuff that kids see going to school, getting out of school and, they're like they they think that's the lifestyle that they have to 
be a part of. And it's not even the case. There's there's plenty of opportunities out there. And I wish that you've, you know, uh, take advantage and um, doing their research and figuring out life for themselves because there's there's beautiful things to do here. Coming up, more from Connecticut's young people. They'll talk about their hopes for the future. I want to build money, save money, you know, hopefully own a home and a car and have have something in my name so I can pass it down to my son's name and then he can have it. This is Disrupted. Stay with us. Hi, I'm Ray Hartman. Season 3 of Where Art Thou is just around the corner. I'll be back on the road meeting incredible Connecticut artists. You'll hear their stories and we'll throw in a few surprises as well. Season 3 of Where Art Thou premieres June 9th on CPTV. For more, visit ctpublic.org WAT. Support provided by the Richard P. Garmany Fund at the Hartford Foundation for Public Giving, the State of Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media, and Connecticut Humanities. Welcome back to Disrupted. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. This hour, we're talking about young people in our state and their engagement with school and employment. A new report shows that 19% of Connecticut's 14 to 26-year-olds are at risk or disconnected. That includes people who are at risk of not graduating high school, those who never finished, and people who did finish but aren't currently working or enrolled in post-secondary education. Before the break, I asked one of our young people, Diego Felix, to react to those numbers. I asked the same question to Yasmeli Segura. So, like Diego said, it's honestly like super shocking to hear how many students are disconnected from education. And as a person who comes like from the, Domin- the Dominican Republic and sees the lack of opportunities for an education compared to here, I honestly think kids will be more engaged. But I think that the reason to this might be because of the lack of engagement in the learning process and just some teachers not providing like a supportive and engaging learning environment, um, making the kids like want to give up and, you know, question themselves on why they're there. Um, I personally had an issue with not wanting to go to a certain class because of this reason, because I'm like, I'm not learning anything. So why would I just sit in a class for 90 minutes? Clueless, you know? Um, but my advocate has always like pushed me into knowing that, um, that shouldn't be an obstacle to like me not going to class or anything like that. Um, additionally to offer me extra help or just like teaching me other ways that I can get the hand of like what they're teaching me in that certain class. What I hear from both of you is that there are a lot of things that young people deal with that have nothing to do with school but have an impact. And whether it's challenges at home, in the neighborhood, your own sense of well-being, that we have to account for that and figure out what we can do differently to better support young people, to bring young people together, and to let them know that they're not alone. That whatever they're feeling, whatever struggling, you're not alone and there are people who want to support you. Diego, what would you say to, I mean, you're an adult, so it's it's not like, what would you say to adults? What do you say to people who are in positions to make decisions about young people? What would you say to them that they need to know or that they need to do to really help young people succeed? 
I mean, I feel like if an adult is in position, I feel like they should always like be humble about it and um, go to a youth or a young uh, person and explain to them like, hey, like you want to get your life together. You want to do the right thing because like five, 10 years from now, you could be doing the wrong thing or you could be in the wrong situation. Uh, there's always things you should focus on while growing up at a young age, like um, going to school and doing your ho- like homework and stuff, researching like what you want to do for your life as you grow. Because when I grew up, I always had like I was always thinking of different things to do. Like, like, let's say I wanted to join the military and then a month later I want to be a firefighter. And then two months later, I want to be a police officer. Like there's a lot of things out there to think about that you could do to like make the world a different place a better place than um like uh just make sure the adults let the youth know that there's plenty of things to do and you know just do it in a humble manner because you know some people are like oh he's trying to show off at me or he's trying to you know big dog me or something like just you know calm manner and everything will be good And I think, Diego, to that point, adults have to share their stories and their journeys more. Because I think a lot of times we tell young people, oh, just do this, do this, and everything will be okay. And we don't tell about the struggles we've had. We don't talk about the failures that we've had so that people know life isn't always easy. And, you know, it's not always straight line. But when you can share your stories, then people know, okay. You did that. I can do it, too. And it doesn't have to be perfect to have value and worth. Yes, Melly, what what do you say to people who are in these positions, whether it's teachers or or people leading community groups? What do they need to know about how to support young people? Um, To be honest, I don't really know because um, the people that have personally helped me. I don't want to use the, the like the word perfect, but they honestly are perfect. Like um, my advocate personally, like she's young, so she has a lot that she can like um, relate to us to. And it's just like it just feels so safe that I can come to her about like boy problems or like girl issues that I'm going through, you know, and she's just like telling me all the time, like, it's OK. Um she tells me like that she probably went through that same situation and how she handled it herself, you know? So I don't know, but with like, that's just with the advocates, but like at school with like guidance counselors and stuff like that. Um, I think that they should like be more open and stuff like that and reassure us that, um, what we're doing is just like, it's not something major that we should like feel so bad about and put that pressure on us like oh like we're like a failure or something like that because we're all living you know this is everybody's first time living so I I love that you said that we're all living and given how important your advocates have been to you and how supportive they've been to you do you think we we should do more of that that we should give more resources or make more counselors and social workers and, and other people available so that the experiences that you and Diego have had positive experiences with your programs, more young people could have that. Do you think that would help? 
I think it would help. Um, when I hear the, wo- the word social worker, though, um, it's kind of scary. And I think not only for students, but for parents as well, because they're like, oh, shoot, like the school is getting involved and stuff like that. But yeah, um, I think we should have more advocates in schools and stuff like that. Um, I wanted to add to what Diego has said a little earlier um, when he was like that kids sometimes feel embarrassed to come to school for whatever reason it is. Um, I don't come from a wealthy family. So like there, and my mom is a single parent. So there's times in which um, we struggle with like um, we struggle financially and stuff like that. Um and like Domus has always been there to help, just always gives us a hand. Um, I remember this time during COVID and stuff like that, we had no idea how we were going to have our next meal. And my advocate would like bring us a bag of food with a gift card every week. Um, so we appreciated that a lot. Um, also for Christmas, my mom didn't know how she was going to get our gifts. Um, mind you, there's three girls in the house and then plus her. Um, but yeah, she didn't know how we we're going to get our Christmas gifts or anything. And that's like something special when it comes to kids just waking up and seeing Christmas presents under their Christmas tree and stuff like that. And Domus just came in clutch. Like we got our gifts and stuff like that. Um, anything that my mom needs, they help her with, um, I didn't have a coat for this winter and they provided me with one as long as, um, wait, as well as, um, gloves and like a hat, you know? I mean, I love that you have support, but it also sounds like your family is being supported. And for so many young people, Correct. that's critical. Cause it's hard to come to school when you're worried about mom or when you're worried about what's going to happen while you're away. Diego, I want to look ahead to the future because you have a little one that you are raising and you have dreams and hopes for yourself, which is so critical. Looking ahead to the future, what is it that you want to do or that you look into, you know, we're going into a new year, 2024. What is it that you say, as Diego, this is what I want to do in the new year? Uh, well, like, as I said, like when I was younger, I always was confused on what to do or get into in life. So I would always like look up like, you know, like police officer, like military and all that stuff. And, um, well, I actually was doing security about a year ago. I'm currently doing an internship in OPP as security, but, uh, right now I'm in nets. I go to the nets and it's a, a tractor trailer school. And I'm learning how to drive 18-wheelers. And I want to do that as a career. I want to go over the road, you know, uh, see new areas and, you know, just drop loads, pick up empty crates and just, you know, go back home like months in at a time because uh, that's like where the best money is. So I want to I want to take the best route for the best money because I want to build money, save money, you know, hopefully own a home and a car and have have something in my name so I can pass it down to my son's name and then he can have it, you know, when the time is done. And like, I just want to, uh, I want to, I want to set myself up for my son. Cause before I had my son, I was extremely distracted and always doing the wrong thing. But once I had him, like my whole life just switched. Like I was like, life is not a game. Like I have a child, 
like, and I need to make sure that he's all right so I can relax. And, you know, when I get old, you know, just my last time, just, you know, be ready for his future. It's a beautiful thing to realize that your life has value. Your life has meaning and purpose that yes, it's, yes, it's connected to your son, but that you bring value to this world that we need and how you can then encourage the next generation to see that and understand it. Ismaili, what about you? What, what are you looking forward to in the next year that you say, this is what I want to do? So unlike um, Diego, I still have a long way to <laughs> go to college and stuff like that. But um, in the next year, um, one of my goals is to, number one, maintain great grades in school because I want to go to college um, and I want to be able to get like scholarships and stuff like that, um, uh, stay in school, um, you know. Um, my mom, she wasn't able to finish high school because she had me at the age of 15. So I want to be able to accomplish that, get my high school diploma and then, you know, go on to college. But before I do all of that, of course, I have to stay on track in school with my grades and attendance. Well, I, I want to thank both of you because it has been my honor to be in conversation with you today. It has been a privilege to learn from the two of you and really to be reminded that every day we can make a choice about how we support young people and their futures and that everything that we need is right here with us because you two represent young people who are doing it. And so we continue to wish you the best. And we also want to thank your advocates and the organizations that you're working with who show all of us what it means when you put the resources into people who care about our young people and our communities. Yasmeli is a student at Stanford High School and is part of programs at Domus. Diego Felix grew up in Harvard. He was part of the Youth Service Corps at Our Piece of the Pie. Thank you both so much. Thank you. God bless you guys. Disrupted is produced by Kevin Chang Barnum, Wayne Edwards, Meg Dalton, and Katie Tularski. You can listen to all the previous episodes of Disrupted by finding us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Disrupted and Connecticut Public. And if you love an episode, please remember to share it and leave us a comment. I'm Kalila Brown-Dean. Thanks for listening. <laughs>